0: Just about to walk over a bridge when he saw the first living thing that day. It was a sheep on the side of the road going,
1: and when she finished, there was a complete silence. And my uncle looked at her and he said, Do you know how long I've wanted to play the guitar like that? We love
2: stories! It's time for The Apple Seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. Folk tales, fairy tales, personal and family tales, historical tales, and more. We've been doing it since 2013, bringing these stories into your home and into your heart. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you every time you tune in to The Apple Seed. And we've got a great hour for you today. Stories to warm your heart and lift your spirit and give flight to your emotions imagination we're going to bring you stories from Len Cabral he's going to share a story called Metsi Gallo from a collection of stories called Buzz Buzz Once There Was you're going to hear from Tennessee storyteller Molly Catron with Roots and Raccoons you're going to love that story and you're going to hear a story of the legend of the Big Dipper the constellation in the sky from Jenny Cargo Strong our Australian storytelling friend from a collection called Reaching for the Moon and other wisdom tales. And of course, you'll hear an entry in the Radio Family Journal. We'll be happy to share with you a memory about my grandfather that may put you in mind. Of your own. And of course, we'll have a conversation with a friend, too. Today, that conversation will be with the great storyteller Sheila Arnold. She's going to talk about her love of a favorite treat, a favorite snack. It also happens to be a favorite snack of mine. Stick around for that conversation. And the first story that we're going to hear today is a story from Len Cabral. His grandparents came from Cape Verde, a small island off the west coast of Africa. And he was born and raised, Len was. In Rhode Island, but grew up with tales from his family's home across the ocean. And later on in his life, he worked with kids in a daycare, and he grew to understand there the power of stories, and he began telling his tales professionally to audiences of all ages. Now, this story is about exploring the world and finding some surprises along the way. In the story, a rooster by the name of Metzigallo gets hit on the head by an acorn and decides to go on. On a journey. And along the way, he makes some friends, all of which have been struck by similar tragedies. Similar in that, as the story moves along with them, it becomes clear that all their problems stem back to one source a mean wolf who wants nothing more than to cause them harm. But that's the story, isn't it? Here's Metsi Gallo, told for you by Len Cabral. Happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. <laughs>
0: Mezzi Gallo. Once, there was this rooster, and his name was Mezzi Gallo. He lived on this farm. One day it was so hot,
3: hot, hot,
0: he was looking for a place to cool out. He saw a great big tree and a patch of shade underneath that tree. Mezzi Gallo thought he'd go and stand in that shady spot. So he walked across that farmyard over to that shady spot, and he was standing there on one leg like roosters do, when all of a sudden an acorn fell from that tree and hit Mezigallo right on his head. Bam! Mezigallo realized at once that he should see the world before it was too late. So Mezigallo, he left that farm, and all that he knew and all that was familiar to him, he walked down a dirt road. He walked by an old abandoned farmhouse. He walked by an old burned-out barn. He walked across a field where there was a long stone wall. He was just about to walk over a bridge when he saw the first living thing that day. It was a sheep on the side of the road going, bah, bah, tears rolling down its cheeks as big as pearls. Whatever makes you carry on like that, said Gallo. It's the wolf. It's the wolf. He's taking my kids, and I know he's eating them. Bah, bah. Well said Mezigallo, how did such a terrible thing ever happen? For ever since Mezigallo had gotten hit with that acorn, he had an immense curiosity about everything under the sun. Well it was like this. I was taking my milk to my neighbor's house so he could turn it into cheese. I said to my kids before I left, I said, Now listen. If there's a knock at the door, you ought to look under the crack of that door. If you see my furry white feet, you'll know it's me. Well, that wolf, that scoundrel, he got some white linen wrapped all around his feet. And when he knocked on that door, my poor kids looked under the crack of that door, saw that white linen, and thought it was their dear mother. <laughs> well, said Mezzi Gallo, it sounds like you should join me and see the world before it's too late. You never know might be a surprise, they're doing it for you. And the sheep joined Gallo, and they walked over a bridge, and as soon as they got over that bridge, right on the side of the road was a donkey, stamping its feet and baying up at the sky.
2: <makes
0: <noise> Whatever makes you carry on like that, asked Gallo. I would like to know too, said the sheep. The sheep was feeling better with Gallo's company. Well, I've been fired. I've been let go. I've got no way of making a living. Well, right away, the sheep realized the donkey's problems weren't worth a hill of beans compared to her own. But still, she was interested. Whatever happened? It was like this. I was taking two sacks of chestnuts to the market for my master. When all of a sudden, this horrible looking monster came running down the side of a hill. He had rags all over himself, just blowing in the wind. It frightened me so. I dropped the sacks of chestnuts. That monster scooped them up and ran off. When I got to the market and told my master what happened, he booted me out and fired me. Now I've got no way of making a living. Well, said Messy Gallo, it sounds like you should join us and see the world before it's too late. You never know. Might be a surprise to turn it for you. And the donkey joined the sheep and Mezigallo. And they started walking down a hill when all of a sudden the donkey said, What's that in the road ahead? And the sheep said, What's that in the road? Ahead? And it was. It was a cat laying in the middle of the road with its head Resting on its front paw, it had one unblinking eye. Well, they walked up to that cat and Gallo said, Whatever happened to you, it looks like you've been squeezed through an olive press. Well, the cat stood up to its full height and said, Well, I was passing the time of day with this wolf. We were talking about the weather and politics. When all of a sudden it had some sort of fit or something, it attacked me. "'I fought him off with all my might, but I lost my eye.' <laughs> "'Well,' said Mezigallo, "'it sounds like you should join us and see the world "'before it's too late. "'You never know. "'Might be a surprise, they're doing it for you.' "'And the cat joined the sheep, the donkey, and Gallo, "'and they started walking down the road, "'when all of a sudden the donkey said, "'That looks like a dog in the road.' "'And the cat said, "'Let sleeping dogs lie.' "'And the sheep said, "'It's not asleep.' And he walked over to that dog, and that dog was just wavering back and forth. Back and forth. Mizzy Gala walked up to the dog and said, Whatever happened to you, you look a wreck. (laughs) I am a wreck. (laughs) I was sitting here minding my business when I was attacked by a wolf. I had to bark, 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 bark. I balked myself, barkless. Well, said Mezzi Gallo, it sounds that you should join us, see the world before it's too late. You never know. Might be a surprise to tune it for you. The dog joined the cat, the sheep, the donkey, and Mezzi Gallo. And they started walking down a path into the woods until they came to a little old brook. And they walked walk alongside that brook. Then that brook became a river. And then it became a raging river. And it started to get dark. And Mezigallo Gallo said, We better hurry up and find a place to spend the night before the animals who look for their food at night come out. And he looked and he said, I see a light. And if there's a light, that must mean there's a window. And if there's a window, must mean there's a house. Come on. And they ran alongside that ridge and river until they came to a riverbank. And they walked up that riverbank, and right on top of that riverbank was the most unusual house it was all put together with logs and branches and boards and wire and mud and hay and rocks all just mashed together like that the sheep looked at that house and said whoever lives here has an untidy mind come on and they walked over to that house and he opened the door and they looked in, and there were all these chicken feathers on the floor. And Mezigallo said, These chicken feathers make me nervous. They make me wonder where the chickens are. And the Donkey said, Don't pay them any mind. This is just where they keep the livestock. Let's look up in that room. And they walked further into that house and they walked up some steps. And they opened the door and they looked in. And there was a makeshift bed on the floor. Then there was a chest of drawers. Then there was a painting on the wall, and right below that painting it said "Grandmama." And they looked up. Ah! It was a painting of a ferocious wolf with big fang-like teeth, head on a red kerchief. Ooh. Ah! This is the wolf's house. The cat said. Good thing we saw part of the world because now it's definitely too late. The dog said, let's run away, let's run away. The sheep said, I sense danger, I sense danger. Let's hide, let's hide. Quickly, Mezigallo blew the light out in the window and he flew up on the door jam above the door. The dog hid behind a cedar chest. The cat jumped into the fireplace with its one unblinking eye. The sheep went up and hid up in the bedroom. The donkey hid behind the door just in time because the wolf hit the door the door swung wide open the wolf walked into that house and he said Ur, my light went out Ur. and then he looked over at the fireplace and he saw that one unblinking eye the cat and he thought it was an ember from the fire and he said at least i can stay warm they decided to walk toward the fireplace Just then the cat Jumped out the fireplace And went Scratch, 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 scratch Mezigala came off the door jam Started pecking the wolf on the head Peck, 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 peck Scratch, peck, scratch, peck The dog started barking Woof, woof Scratch, peck Woof, scratch, peck Woof, scratch, peck peck." The wolf ran up the steps Opened the door The sheep came running down Ran into the wolf Knocked him backwards Down the steps The wolf stood up Just in time Because the donkey Jumped up with its hind leg and lit right into that wolf knocking that wolf out the house he rolled down that embankment right into that raging river and got swept away those animals they looked at one another and before they could say a word they heard eh. Ah, and they walked over to that cedar chest and they opened up the cedar chest and there were three baby sheep. And the mother sheep said, My babies, my babies. Ooh, 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 ooh. And they looked in and there were two sacks of chestnuts. And they pulled the chestnuts out the cedar chest and the cat said, I wish somebody would find my other eye. And Mezzi Gallo said, Friend, I'll be your other eye. And all the animals said, We'll all be your other eye. And they cleaned that house up. They, they got all the chicken feathers off the floor. They took that painting off the wall. They went and they buried it. And they made that house a bit more tidy. And that first night, they had a big, big roasted chestnut dinner. And they lived there still. But if any of you good people should be out gallivanting, you cut through the woods, Right? you come up on a little old brook and you follow that brook for a while and that brook becomes a river. Then it becomes a raging river. You look up on a riverbank, you see a little old house. It's a bit more tidy now. You go over and you knock on that door. If no one's there, sit on a a while wait for them. They'll come back. They're just out. seeing the world before it's too late. You never know. Might be a surprise in it. For you too. Betsy Gallo,
2: a story told for you by the great storyteller Len Cabral from Rhode Island with roots in Cape Verde. Tell stories from all over the world. And that story, of course, about a rooster, a sheep, a donkey, a wolf, and a lot more. There's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. You're going to hear a story called Roots and Raccoons by Molly Catron. You're going to hear The Legend of the Big Dipper by Jenny Cargo Strong from a collection called Reaching for the moon and other wisdom tales. We should remind you that you can find us online at byuradio.org Appleseed. There's an archive there filled with episodes of the show. We've been around since 2013, and each of those episodes is filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. You can also uh, Google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe to the podcast for something new just about every day. Not only the full hour-long episodes of the Appleseed, that you've come to enjoy here but also many episodes of the show only a single story long a few minutes long in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with a great story we call them Appleseed Extras and you can find them there at the website uh, or again well, by Googling the podcast and subscribing lots more coming up I'm Sam Payne
4: stick around you're listening to the Appleseed we'll be back in a moment
1: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we heard a story called "Metsi Gallo, a story told for you by Len Cabral. A story about a rooster and a sheep and a donkey who are united by a particular oppression, the oppression of a cranky wolf. And of course it was fun to hear that story. There's a lot more coming up. In fact, we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you to share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room and uh, so we're going to share a memory with you now this is a memory of my grandfather it's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal
1: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the Appleseed
2: My grandfather was a stern old guy. He was stern when you asked him a question at the breakfast table. He was stern if you asked him for help with your homework. If you worked at an ice cream shop and he was ordering ice cream, you could count on him being stern with you. If you worked at a grocery store and my grandfather had a question for you about peanut butter, you could bet it would be a stern question asked in a stern tone of voice. Grandpa was stern in the morning, stern in the afternoon, and stern at night. I remember driving with my grandpa to the condo of a friend of his because the friend wanted to show my grandpa a new method for getting tennis balls to bounce a little higher. It had to do with putting them in the microwave. My grandfather's reaction? Stern. You get the point. And I'm telling you all this so you'll understand how surprised we all were when during Christmas break one year, a break in which we took advantage of the days off of school to visit my grandparents in their California home, my grandpa wanted us all to watch a video he'd made for the high school faculty talent show. This was in the days when video cameras were a novelty. Not everybody had them. And my grandpa was an early adopter. My grandpa was a trumpet player and a high school band teacher. And we were sure that when he fired up the VCR, we'd see him playing something on the trumpet. That year, he'd been working on a piece by Igor Stravinsky. And we thought we'd see him on video playing that piece, perhaps accompanied by my grandma, who played piano and organ. We were ready for it. But what we saw... Was something completely different when the video started up we saw grandpa standing next to their backyard swimming pool he was wearing a floppy renaissance style hat with an enormous feather in it he was in full doublet and hose his doublet in extravagant brocade the enormous sleeves ballooning out pumpkin-shaped pants over tights and shoes with buckles on them all in baby blue, and my uncle sat behind him on a stool playing acoustic guitar while my grandfather sang Rod Stewart tunes. This was a side of my grandfather that we had never seen before. We pressed him with questions, and we found out that my grandmother had made the costume. For a school play or something, we asked? No, not for a school play. Just for this video was the answer. We were befuddled, but frankly, a little delighted by Grandpa's performance. And the costume was, well, the costume was spectacular. I didn't get another look at that side of my grandfather again until after my grandmother had passed away. When she did, as sometimes happens... There was kind of a massive cleaning out of the house and a giving away of boxes of stuff to grandkids who might be interested in them. For me, there were some of the accoutrements of my grandpa's days playing in bands, music stand, clip lights, and so forth. But there was also a box filled with something else, costumes made for my grandpa by my grandma. Some of the costumes had been Halloween costumes that grandpa had worn to school. Others were church costumes. Grandpa, as it turns out, had played one Old Testament prophet or another for Sunday school lessons or pageants. Who knew that my stern old grandfather had that Cosplay streak in him. We imagined his church congregation seeing stern old Gordon Pappas coming into Sunday school dressed like Isaiah or Moses. We wondered what they must have thought. We wondered about his high school students on Halloween who saw Grandpa come into class dressed like Mercury, the messenger god. We had no idea how to accurately imagine the reaction of those startled students. And of course, we were a little flummoxed and more than a little delighted ourselves. Our stern old grandpa had this kind of goofy entertainer's streak in him. What do you know? The things you learn about a guy. I had forgotten about the costumes and the performances, actually, when we visited my grandfather very late in his life at the super posh assisted living center where he spent the last few years of his life. He showed us the center's library, proud of the collection of books he'd curated on the center's behalf. We ate dinner with him in the center's restaurant. He showed us around with some pride of the digs which he'd fixed himself up. But all during the visit, he seemed a little bit grumpy. His brow was furrowed, and he looked to the floor. He didn't seem to want to talk about whatever was bothering him, and we chalked it up to the old sternness. It remained a mystery until late in our visit when he finally came clean turns out that he was grumpy because there had very recently been a costume contest at the assisted living center and his costume he had dressed he said as an oscar meyer hot dog had only been good enough to win him third place (laughs) well no wonder he was grumpy man the things you learn about a guy
1: the Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed.
2: Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. It's fun to remember the stories that make us who we are, whether those stories are serious or silly, heartwarming or difficult. They're worth talking about, worth sharing, and we hope that you share the stories that are dear to you around the kitchen table or the living room. Coming up, you're going to hear a story called Roots and Raccoons from Molly Catron, and you're going to hear The Legend of the Big Dipper from Jenny Cargill Strong. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the books that we love, the films that we see, the meals that we share, certainly through the tales that get told, passed along from teller to listener, sometimes over generations and generations and generations. And of course, talking about some of the ways in which great stories come into our lives is something that we love to do with friends. So it's a great delight for me to uh, be here in conversation. We're far, far away from each other. Sheila all the way in her home and me here at the Appleseed Studio. I'm pleased to be joined by Sheila Arnold here on the Appleseed. Sheila, thanks for joining me.
3: So good to be with you, Sam. I really, really is good to be on your show again.
2: <laughs> you know, you and I have shared food, love, and uh, you're going to talk about it here. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about, oh, dare I even say the word, tell us a little bit about popcorn.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you dare to say that word. Uh, (laughs) When I was a little girl, um, my father's in the military, we were stationed over in a little place called Budingen, Mm. uh, Germany. And there were uh, two civilians that were there, and I'm not certain why they were there, but they were civilians. And they had started a little drama company. And they were doing this uh, old slapstick kind of comedy. There's a villain, there's a good guy, there's a damsel in distress. And there was a need for a ray, a little ray of sunshine, which was gonna be the role that I was put into. Well, they needed this little ray of sunshine and my mother volunteered me. I always said she did it because she, you know, uh, because I talked so much. She told me <laughs> later on that it was not true. They just needed somebody and I could do the job. And so I got this role as the little ray of sunshine in this play. And the play was a huge hit on our base. I mean, soldiers came, families came. It was wonderful. It was a great success. Such a great success that they were asked to go to different bases all around Germany. So I'm going to school as a fourth grader, going to school as a fourth grader. And sometimes my mom is having to pick me up at school and drive me to where all the rest of the cast is already gone and drive me there. So I would get to these places. And there there would be no food to eat because it's not like we had McDonald's, you know, it's not like today. And so but what we always had is there was always popcorn. There were these big tubs of popcorn and it was free and everybody could have it. And so and there was butter right beside it. And so I would come in and say, I'm so hungry, mom. And she was like, fine. And she would get a bag of popcorn and give it to me. And that happened way too many times that my mother had to just give me bags of popcorn. And so I would just eat bags of popcorn. And to this day, I am addicted to popcorn. So if you order a bag of popcorn for Sheila, don't expect one that I will share it with you. And two, um, that I won't end it. I will finish the bag of popcorn. It's very dangerous for me. <laughs> but I just remember how much fun I just, that my mother being in her, you know, what can I do for this child? Yeah. Why she didn't make me sandwiches? I have no idea. But she... <laughs> I'm thinking about that now, Sam. Why didn't my mom just make me sandwiches to go on the ride? <laughs> <laughs> she, she knew what was going to happen but that's just hilarious now that I think about it but she made me pop but they had popcorn there and I got to eat it all the time became my favorite thing I mean absolute favorite thing was to eat just buttered popcorn wherever I went
2: oh boy and I the the life of a little traveling performer as a little ray of sunshine right <laughs> <laughs> and all and all there is for you but you, you know you think about surely there are memories of the performances memories of those sort of that sort of cultural adventure you were having but that little touchstone that little key you know the key to unlock those memories being popcorn and suddenly there you're thinking about not only the See, that wonderful taste of that wonderful popcorn, but also you're thinking about interactions with your mom.
1: You're thinking
2: about, uh, you know, you're thinking about that gig, you know, so you're thinking about being there overseas and, uh, and it's, it's a doorway through which you can walk all the way down into the depths of that memory, isn't it? But I
3: have to tell you though, Sam, I don't remember a single conversation with my mom and this whole thing um except for about the popcorn which is hilarious (laughs) um but i do remember that my job my little ray of sunshine i was to put my hands on the side of my face make that O with my mouth and say oh no she's on the train tracks (laughs) And I do realize that that eventually became, you know, like, you know, being overly dramatic was always blamed for me. Being overly dramatic was always blamed on my role as the little ray of sunshine. As the little ray of sunshine.
2: (laughs) And then, of course, you know, back then you have no idea what you're going to grow up to be, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and here you are, you know, dare I say, the little ray of sunshine on stages all over the country, right? Telling stories and 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 bringing some of that same magic to the stage now. Yeah. And 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 when it was happening to you as a little kid, You you didn't recognize that, or maybe you did. But I I, I know that I never recognized Mm -mm. the things that happened to me as a kid that wound up being some of those foundational things. You know, they don't seem so important as they're happening. Uh, But then you look back and you say, oh, yeah, I guess that was where it
3: all began. You know, (laughs) And, and just one, I know I need to be quiet, but one other thing is that I added a myth around it. Like I added a myth and I don't know if anybody else out there who's listening has ever done that, where you've added a myth about why something happened a certain way, or why something was done. And so there's a, and so all along, you've been saying it's because of such and such. And then you find out in your family, no, that wasn't the reason why. I mean, for years, I said, it is because my mother, because I talked too much. And then my mother was like, (laughs) why do you say that? That's not why I put you in there. They just needed somebody. and You did the job. (laughs) I <laughs> my mess, but it was a great mess. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. We, we do tend to, don't we, to make m- meaning out of the things that happen to us. Even the things that don't mean anything. We, we tend to wrap them up in all kinds of mythology, like you say, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my mouth is watering. I think after this conversation, I'm going to pop up a little batch, and uh, I'm excited about it. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Bye, Sam. <laughs>
2: Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Sheila Arnold. We'll be sure to have her back. Coming up, a story from Molly Catron called Roots and Raccoons. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne.
3: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago, we had a conversation with the great storyteller Sheila Arnold about her love of popcorn. That's my kind of conversation. Up next, a story from Molly Catron. It's a story about a family reunion. Now, she's nervous at first about going to this family reunion, hasn't been to one in a few years, decides to go and take her grandchildren with her, and she doesn't know exactly what her relatives are going to think of her family. But there's nothing to worry about. Here's Molly Catron with Roots and
1: Raccoons
2: here on The Appleseed.
1: Will the circle be unbroken By and by, Lord, by and by There's a better home awaiting In the sky, Lord, in the sky It's a small town, that Hartsville, Alabama. It's right up in that northeast corner of Alabama, and if you weren't looking for it, you'd just miss it. It must have been even smaller when my daddy grew up there 90-some years ago. The White family's a family of an Italian immigrant. As the story goes, he knocked his brother out of the tree and never turned around to see what happened. He just kept on running until he got to Ellis Island where Michelle Bianco became simply Mikey White. Well, he played a stringed instrument and he was traveling one time from the North on down to Florida where they had a gig and they stopped off of all places in Hartzell. And when it was time for the band to leave, old Mikey White decided to stay. He was described as a colorful man, spoke broken English. His favorite expression was goshy dingy. He'd say, goshy dingy, Mikey White thinks this, or Goshi dingy, Mikey White says this. One time he was working for the railroad and he was operating one of those hand cars when a train started coming straight for him. Well, when he realized that the train was going to hit that hand car, he jumped off of it and it tore that hand car all to pieces. Well, the next day he found himself in the superintendent's office and he was getting chewed out because he hadn't saved the company equipment. And old Mikey said, Goshi dingy you can get another hand car but you can't get another mikey white he later became a cotton farmer and they won, he won the heart of his woman Mati martha kent and they got married and had six children that lived they had colorful names like Bozell and ludy and he gave them nicknames like smata willy and sonata author that was my grandpa Now Arthur, with his Al Pacino looks, won the heart of the sweet and gentle Emma Holloway. And they were married and went about the business of raising nine children, four girls and five boys. My daddy was one of them. Now they were poor, but an honest family and things got really tough for all of them. My daddy decided to join the Navy. Now he was only 16 years old, but He joined anyway. He went down there and when the recruiter said, how old are you, son? He said, I'm just 16. And the recruiter said, well, we're gonna let you join anyway because we think the Navy needs good old honest boys like you. He gave away those bib overhauls that he was wearing when he signed up, but he packed up that feed sack shirt that his mama had made for him and he mailed it back to him. Now, during the war, when he was stationed in Norfolk, he met my mama during a blackout. Her name was Elizabeth Riggs, and they were dancing at this little honky-tonk. I somehow in my mind envisioned them playing something like, I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. So I asked my mama about it, I said, what were you dancing to? And mama said, I think it was walking the floor over you. Well, After Daddy got back from World War II, I was born along with all the 74 million baby boomers. And we would go often to see the family in Alabama. And when we did go, we would have to travel from the east coast of Virginia all the way to Alabama. It was like a 15-hour trip. We would wind our way through every mountain pass that you could imagine getting there. And along the way, I would sleep in that back ledge in the car. And we would pass neat places like a live alligator farm or Rock City or or something like that, but Daddy wouldn't stop for any of them. He made me even carry a potty in the car. But I was my grandma and grandpa's first grandchild. And when I got there, it was wonderful because I was pawed and pampered by every one of them. Some of the first memories I have was playing around my grandpa's sickbed. Uh, he had been sick for a time, he had cancer. He wouldn't let me kiss him in the mouth because he thought it was catching. My um, youngest uncle, who's only a few years older than me, would show me how the cap on his iron bed would lift up, and that's where he hid his money. And I remember watching my grandma. She was Slow, her actions were slow and methodic and she had a soft voice and she was always busy but she seemed to move at this soothing paste And pace and in later years I would see her working crossword puzzles and she would very carefully lick the end of that lead pencil and make perfect letters in the boxes of those crosswords. Every year the White family has a reunion around the Fourth of July. I love to go back there because I retain the status of being the oldest grandchild and I am still pawed and pampered by all my aunts and uncles. And so I usually go back and I love to go to downtown Hartzell because they've turned it into sort of a historical city and they've made this little covered promenade that you can walk under and along down Main Street and they have these cute little shops that are set underneath it and it's not unusual for me to walk into one of those shops and, and somebody in there will say, hey, you're one of those whites. You see, we're kind of dark skinned and we have a rather recognizable nose. And I would puff up real proudly and say, yes, I am. And they'd say, well, whose daughter are you? And I'd say, Fred's. Then they proceed to tell me some neat story about my dad, like how he used to ring up the operator on the old wooden phone and stand on a stool and serenade her with his guitar. And then they'd pull me out into the main street and they'd point to these huge oak trees that were lying in Main Street, and they'd say, look there, said, your great-grandpa, Mikey White, planted those oak trees. And I would realize at that moment that my roots there run just as deep, if not deeper, than those oak trees. Well, you know how things will go. The last two or three years, I haven't been to the family reunion. You can always find an excuse not to go. You know how it goes. You're busy with work. uh, You're tied up with church activities. Whatever it was, I seem to find some reason not to go every year. But this particular year, I felt pretty guilty about it. I mean, after all, um, my daddy and and two of his brothers are gone and this past year they had lost one of his sweet sisters martha and so i felt like i really needed to go back there for them they're well into their 80s um, and i didn't know how much longer i'd have them so the guiltier i got the more i decided i had to go so i arranged a trip two weeks after the reunion i decided i'd take my three granddaughters because they're now 13, 10, and 8, and all they'd seen of them was pictures. And I thought it'd be a good time for me to spend some time with them. I was also gonna take my 92-year-old mother. I wasn't brave enough to take my two year old grandson. So we piled in that car, and it's only a five-hour trip from where I live in Tennessee now. So I arrived there, uh, As the closer I got to Alabama, closer I got to arriving, um, I started getting tense. Because, see, there's a rub with this whole story. It seems like that when my oldest granddaughter went into middle school, she morphed herself from a beautiful blue eyed cherub into a raccoon eyed rock star wannabe. Now, don't get me wrong, she's a nice girl. She's real talented. Uh, she makes good grades in school after we had a small attitude adjustment when she first went into middle school. Her piano teacher said she was gifted, but now she has her eye on playing a guitar. But unfortunately, along with playing the guitar, comes the eye makeup, the hair that's not washed real often. It hangs low in her face, and she has this propensity to say no to every single thing that you say. Well, here I was going to travel all the way to Alabama, and I was going to expose her to my Southern Baptist aunts. And I thought to myself, they are going to have a fit. I could hear it now, they'd roll their eyes, they'd glance sideways at each other, you know? They would hide their uh, mouth behind their hand and whisper, Oh, it was gonna be terrible. The closer I got to my cousin's house, the more tense I got. And by the time we were in the driveway, I was about in a panic because all I could envision was my cousin's kids' kids, all very pristine faces, sitting in front of the TV, watching uh, the Brady family reruns. And I thought, how am I gonna face them? Well, we pulled into the driveway and as we got there, uh, just like always, the ants came out to greet us, you know. The two youngest granddaughters, who were still blue-eyed cherubs, got out and ran into the arms of their great, great aunts. And meanwhile, I looked back, and there was the oldest one, the raccoon. She came sloughing out of the back seat with her iPod still hanging down out of her ears, and I thought, oh my goodness. But the ants ran up and hugged her, embraced her, I saw none of what I was looking for, so my immediate, immediate thoughts were, the poor deers have lost their eyesight. What a blessing. So we, we go inside, but I was wrong about that, because the whole rest of the weekend, those grandkids were wedged, including the raccoon, in between their great-great-aunts, looking at the family album hearing the family stories, and figuring out very carefully where they fit on that tree of life. The whole time we were there, they never seemed to notice those raccoon eyes. She took a trip one time, the raccoon, with my cousin to go run errands. We had to go get more okra. The kids fell in love with fried okra. Nobody can fry okra any better than Southern Baptist women in Alabama. So they were going out for an errand while they were out there. My cousin showed her those trees on Main Street that Mikey White had planted. She spent the evening walking in a field where her great-great-grandpa had walked. And when we left, she was hugged goodbye. No one seemed to notice the raccoon eyes but me. But it wasn't over, you see, because on the way home, we were going to have to stop in Huntsville and see my uncle Van and Aunt Faye. Well, see, we are an Italian family. He's the oldest uh, living brother. And so he is what my cousin Vicky calls the godfather of the family. And somehow or the other, we all seek his approval. Now, he's a gentle, kind man. He's well-educated. He was a rocket scientist at the Huntsville Arsenal. And he, uh, he's the type of uncle that if you had, he would stop you at Rock City. Because he did when I traveled with him one time. I said I wanted to see Rock City and he stopped. But still I was nervous because as I was pulling in his driveway, all I could think about was his two handsome sons and their kids' kids, pristine faces, sitting in front of the TV watching reruns of The Brady Bunch. So by the time I got there, I was sweating profusely. All I could think about was him rolling in his eyes or Uh, wind sucking through clenched teeth as he looked at us in disappointment. But when I got there, uh, the kids immediately ran into the house. The two youngest ones found that laundry chute that ran from their third floor down to the basement and tried it out, just like I had done when I was a little kid. And then after we ate lunch, I found my Uncle Van sitting on the couch with the raccoon. And he looked at her and he picked up his guitar and he said, I heard you play the guitar. Play me a tune. And she said, well, you go first. And he said, OK. And he played Bobby McGee. He can really play Bobby McGee. And then when he was finished, he passed the guitar to her. And he said, your turn. And she said, well, you probably won't like any of the songs that I play. He said, try me. So then she picked up that guitar, and she worked those uh, black fingernailed, uh fingers of hers up and down that fret, and frets effortlessly. And I didn't know what the song was. I didn't recognize it, but I knew it was good. And when she finished, there was a complete silence. And my uncle looked at her and he said, do you know how long I've wanted to play the guitar like that? And she said, you mean you can't play like that? He said, no. He said, you have a gift. He said, the only thing standing between you and being a rock star is practice, practice, practice. Why, she just beamed all over. So later that night, when we got ready to leave, and he gave her a big hug, he held her out in front of him and she looked at him and said, I know, practice, practice, practice. He said, no. He said, I expect tickets to the first concert. And she said, "Okay," And she got in the car. Well, we started driving back. And all the way back, we all reminisced about our trip. My 92-year-old mother said she enjoyed it, but she thought everybody looked awfully old. And as I was driving along, I could hear the kids saying things like goshy-dingy and recounting stories they'd heard. At one point, the youngest granddaughter said, you know, Nana, you do crossword puzzles just like your grandma White. And I said, yeah, I do. And then the middle granddaughter, who's a smart aleck, said, and all your aunts have big noses just like you do. And then I didn't think that the raccoon was listening because she's wedged in the corner with that iPod back in her ears. But out of nowhere, she sat up and she said, yeah. She said, but I play a stringed instrument like Mikey White. Well, I guess you know where I'll be next Fourth of July, and I I bet you can guess who will be with me. Because, see, here's what I learned. I learned I didn't need to go home for my aunts and uncles. I needed to go home for me and that raccoon. Will the circle be unbroken? By and by, Lord, by and by. There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky.
2: Roots and Raccoons, the name of that tale from Molly Catron... And we're going to wrap up today with a story from Jenny Cargill-Strong, the Australian storyteller who's going to share with us the story of a little girl, uh, her village going through a terrible drought, and she and her mother don't have enough to drink. It's a story about how powerful an act of kindness can be. There's just about nothing that can compare with it during uh, good times or bad. Here's Jenny Cargill-Strong with the legend of the Big Dipper here on The Appleseed. (music)
4: This story explains a group of stars that look like a ladle or a dipper. Long ago, when people wanted water, they couldn't just turn on a tap. They had to carry it in buckets from a river or a well, then scoop the water out of the bucket with a dipper. It is this way still in many places in the world. The legend of the Big Dipper. Once, long ago, but not that far away, a little girl lived alone with her mother in the outback. It hadn't rained there for a long, long time. The waterholes, creeks and rivers had all dried up and there were only little trickles of water in certain hidden places. The grass turned brown and crunched beneath people's feet. Wild creatures that had somewhere else to go left but many animals had nowhere to go. The little girl's mother had been working hard to try to get food for her daughter, but now she could barely get out of bed. As her mother lay sleeping, the little girl thought and thought about where she could get some fresh water for her mother. She remembered a story her grandfather had told about a drought that happened when he was a boy and how he had found a trickle of water that helped his family. I will search for some water like Grandfather did. Because she was only small, she couldn't carry a bucket, and besides, she didn't think she could find that much water, so she picked up the old tin dipper and set off. It was hot and dry on the dusty road out of town. The little girl soon felt very thirsty, but she kept on walking. She walked up and up the hill behind her home, pushing through scratchy bushes and spiky weeds. The little girl wasn't exactly sure where to go, but she just kept walking, though her legs were red with scratches. Suddenly she smelt a dampness, a freshness in the air. She moved towards the fragrance, and then she saw it a little seep, of crystal-clear water spilling down over mossy rocks. The girl sighed with relief and filled her dipper. It filled slowly, drip by drip. When she drank that water, it was so fresh and pure. Oh, she felt wonderfully refreshed. And when she had had enough to drink, she refilled the dipper and then set off down the hill trying hard not to spill any water. She hadn't gone very far when she came across a koala at the base of a tree. The little girl had never seen a koala so close before, but she noticed that the koala was watching her dipper closely. Are you thirsty? As if to answer, the koala came closer to the little girl. Gently, she knelt down next to the koala poured some water into her hand and let the koala lap it up. The water was so pure, it made the koala feel well again. It gave the girl a long look, turned and headed back into the bush. The little girl was so busy watching the koala walk away that she didn't notice her dipper had refilled itself and turned from tin to silver. The little girl felt very happy as she walked down the hill, being careful not to spill any water. As the little girl reached the edge of town, she saw a frail old man scratching around in the garden for some food, but everything in his yard was wilted and brown. The little girl stopped and said, "'Excuse me, sir?' Would you like some of my water? Oh, yes, my girl, I would. This water is really for my mother, but I know she won't mind if I give you some. The old man walked over and drank gratefully. What a thoughtful girl you are. I am sorry I have nothing to give you in return, but that must be the best water I've ever tasted. You are very welcome, sir, said the little girl. She felt so happy she wanted to skip for joy, but instead she walked carefully so as not to spill any water. She was so excited about telling her mum about the koala and the old man that she didn't notice her dipper refilled itself and turned to gold. At last, the little girl arrived home. She pushed open the door. Her mother was still in bed, but sitting up. Hey, Mum, I have some really special water for you. Look. Oh, how wonderful, my darling. Her mother sat up and gratefully drank the water, leaving some for her daughter. She handed it back, saying... That was the best water I've ever tasted, and I have left some for you. The little girl was thirsty again after her long walk home in the heat, so she was about to take a sip when a knock came at the door. The girl opened the door to find a stranger. There stood a bent old woman with white hair, dark skin and one blind eye, she was dressed in rags and covered in the red dust of the road. Hello, Auntie, You look like you need a drink of water. Yes, I do. Oh, I would love a good drink of water. Can you spare a drop for me, darling? Sorry we don't have much, Auntie, but you can have this. The old woman gratefully took the dipper and drank deeply. You are a very good, kind girl. Then she winked at the little girl and smiled. The old woman lifted that dipper high up into the air. Suddenly, the little girl saw that her dipper was now made of beautiful, sparkling crystals. The old woman turned it upside down, and where the last drop spilled onto the ground, a spring formed. Crystal clear water that came from deep underground bubbled up, enough water for the whole town and the wildlife to share. Then that old woman lifted the dipper high up into the air and she tossed it up high, high into the sky, so high that it never came down. The little girl and her mother hugged each other happily, but when they looked up to thank the old woman, she had disappeared. That night, the townspeople gathered around the new spring excitedly, and when they looked up into the sky, they saw that the girl's crystal dipper had become a new constellation of stars. It is there to this day, and we call it the Big Dipper. And that is how I tell the story of the Big Dipper, which is really a folktale from Europe. But I wonder, how would you retell that story?
2: The Legend of the Big Dipper told for you by Jenny Cargill-Strong here on The Appleseed. What a pleasure to have been able to share with you that tale along with Molly Catron's Roots and Raccoons, a conversation with Sheila Arnold about popcorn, and the story Metzigallo from Len Cabral. Join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. Of course, you can Google The Appleseed Podcast for something new just about every day. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne. Such a pleasure to have you with us on The Appleseed.
1: Thanks for
0: joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.